It's time to woke up and smell the coffee on this episode of Pushback. If you're concerned about the direction our culture is heading, then maybe it's time to push back. Greetings, everyone. This is Dr. Johnny, and this is another episode of Pushback. Uh, this is the second time uh, in as many weeks that this non-coffee drinker has mentioned coffee. The title of this podcast is Woke Up and Smell the Coffee. You know, the term woke is a political term that originated in the United States. And I'll be frank with you, um, I've been just enlightened into this word uh, over about the past couple of years only, despite me being pol uh, fairly politically uh, connected and, and uh, attuned. And it's a newer term, originated in the United States, became more popular after the uh, Black Lives Matter movement. And it refers to a perceived awareness of issues that concern social justice. Now, we are probably more familiar, and this term goes back much, much further, is the term political correctness. And that's a term used to describe language, policies, or measures that are intended to avoid offense or disadvantage to members of a particular group in society. So I feel like in 2021, like this woke uh, society, this woke mentality and PC, political correctness, sort of had this baby. <laughs> and if you married political correctness with wokeness, uh, it really has transitioned from becoming socially aware to becoming socially aware of offense, of being... Uh, our culture, rather than focusing on becoming less offended, has ineffectively, at the best, and often ridiculously, at the worst, focused on just becoming less offensive. And I'm going to be so bold to say that this movement, this offspring of wokeness and political correctness, has actually focused on silencing the offensive. I have here uh, some examples of the uh, headlines of being woke in 2020. Now, I have a lot of these, and for interest of time, I just had to select just a few. But I want to just give you an example of sort of what we're talking about here in this, this woke transition into focusing and being hyper-focused on being offended. In Fast Company on June 15th, the headline was Five Thoughtful Ways to Approach Discussing Racism at Work. And this is what it says. Do be mindful of opening up meetings and interactions with questions like, how are you? Or how was your weekend? 
recognize that by doing so, you can potentially be re-triggering what your black colleagues are experiencing or dismissing their experience by pretending it's all normal. It's not and hasn't been for a long time. Now, I'm certainly not making light of, of the racial tensions and the racial history and experience in our country, but I am making light of trying to eliminate how are you or how was your weekend. Number two, from Deadspin on June 22nd, we've lived with the master's name long enough. This, of course, is referring to the golf tournament in Augusta, Georgia. Now, we know that during this year, the Washington Redskins and Cleveland Indians, they have been recognized as offensive decades ago, and they're finally tossed into the dustbin of history. And then there was this idea that uh, by a man named Rob Parker, that when you hear anyone say the masters, he wrote, you think of slave masters in the South. It didn't matter to him that the masters was actually named for those who mastered their craft. The master class, much like master titles in, in chess or tennis or angling or any other pursuit that has a master class. And this obviously was not recognized or considered. Or how about this one? Dear white vegans, stop appropriating food. This is from August 13th from Vice. Vice indignantly said that white vegans who tout recipes that rely on racial stereotypes like African peanut stew. They said if you do a Google search on vegans or vegetarianism, you sometimes have to go all the way, all the way to the second page on Google to find a non-white vegan. This was lamented by a board member of the Toronto Vegetarians Association. Oh, how about this one from abc.com on July 1st? America's national parks face existential crisis over race. They rallied against systemic racism of America's great white outdoors. So this doesn't even just pertain to people anymore. Nature itself decrying the fact that only 23% of park visitors are people of color as opposed to 42% of the population. This might get your attention from September 5th from Globe and Mail. Is it time to decolonize your lawn? <laughs> Decolonization has been a word, a buzzword. It's been a woke word. Decolonize your lawn, both for harming the environment and for importing a culture of manicured lawns that violates indigenous ideas about gardening or rather not gardening. Canadian professor John Douglas says, what is a lawn but a statement of control over nature? <laughs> From the Huffington Post, April 23rd, the headline is, I teach at Oxford, but I don't want to win the coronavirus vaccine race. Oxford gender, gender and vulnerability professor Dr. Emily Cousins conceded her school's researchers were doing vital work in April but insisted such races for knowledge have winners and losers and declared, if my university is the first to develop the vaccine, I'm worried that it will be used as it has in the past as proof of British 
excellence. No, we can't have that now, can we? <laughs> I'm holding a, a picture that many of you are probably familiar with. It's uh, from CNN's coverage of the Kenosha riots. If you can see this on YouTube, at least, you can see part of it anyway. It's a familiar one that you probably have seen before. But there's a man uh, in reporting in Kenosha, Wisconsin, with at least, according to this picture, at least three or four cars burning behind him. And the headline says, fiery, but mostly peaceful protests after police shooting. <laughs> Trying to put a positive spin on something that was spinning out of control. And then, of course, something that just happened just in this past month. This is Representative Emanuel Cleaver, a Democrat from Missouri, giving the end, quote-unquote, prayer at the House of Representatives, said, We ask it in the name of the monotheistic god Brahma, and God known by many names, by many different faiths, faiths Cleaver concluded, Amen and A-Women. <laughs> Uh, that one you can't even really make up. Now, my heart isn't to, to ridicule or to dishonor these, but to expose sometimes what happens, the ridiculousness, the absurdity of what happens when we become offense-focused. See, living in a culture, remember, this podcast is about culture. Living in a culture of feeling constantly offended or fear and intimidation over being offensive leads to conflict, control, and censorship. It leads to conflict, check, control, check, and ultimately rationalized censorship. Rationalized censorship. See, I don't think it's any coincidence that the First Amendment of our U.S. Constitution is about free speech. Now, I don't know if these were actually written in order of importance, but at least they were written in order of thought. And our forefathers put such emphasis, such, such importance on the First Amendment, which is a society with a free exchange of ideas. A free exchange of ideas that we are free to express what we believe and we're able to say it into the public square. And offense, this might be hard to hear, but offense is implied. We're not all going to see things the same way, but our country has given us the freedom to express ourselves. Now, we have the freedom to not listen to it. We have the freedom to disagree with it. We have the freedom to fight against it. We have the freedom to respond in any way, but we also have the freedom to speak, the freedom of speech. Now, I will be the first to say that I am not being a proponent, and I don't think it's good to be purposely offensive or to be antagonistic. I believe that's countercultural to what the Bible teaches. I think that's that's anti-Christ to what Christ tells us on how we are supposed to speak and behave. But we also know that change, the change that we are looking for on both sides can only occur from within. It only can be an internal conviction. 
Things that only can change in our society are internal. It's in the heart. Now, we as Christians recognize that as the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit within us that changes us and conforms us into Christ's image. It's what the Holy Spirit does. But when we only operate in fear and offense, then what happens is, is that we need to be externally controlled. It's the byproduct of fear, intimidation, and, and constantly feeling offended. We see it often even in church environments where somebody is offended and then rules are created to try to prevent offense. And there has to be external controls that are placed upon the congregation. And it feels oppressive at times. But what I want to bring to your attention, and I I want to say this with all the honor and compassion that we have as Christ followers, is can you imagine the oppression, the oppression that those who see themselves as woke or politically correct, that those that see themselves, the oppression of policing All social thought and commentary looking and digging for offense. It has to be exhausting. It has to be oppressive. I have mentioned in the past that the word offense in the Bible, uh, actually the best interpretation of the word offense is actually a bait and, and stick trap. You can picture the box with the with the stick, the, the pronged type stick holding the box up. And the enemy actually sets the bait of offense. And we take the bait and the box drops on us and it's the offended that is trapped. And haven't we all felt it? Haven't we felt offended before? And it's we. We are the ones who actually get trapped. It's a sinister plan of the enemy. Offense is a powerful tool of the enemy to keep us trapped. And so those who aspire to be woke or politically correct have become so offense-focused that they are literally trapped with only fear threats and intimidation at their disposal and it's a it's ineffective and the examples that we just read it becomes irrational see their goal their goal is not to create social awareness or hope or life or peace or love but to silence the opposition from the public square Let's have our eyes open about this. It's time to smell the coffee. This is how they rationalize censorship. See, we have been seeing this. We've been outraged by it. We're like, how can these companies censor or or cut us off? They rationalize censorship because they see that any language that goes against what they believe is dangerous and offensive and needs to be censored. They, they, they can rationalize it in their mind, even though it goes against the actual culture of what America created from the very beginning. And we're seeing this insidious uh, realm start to, to sweep over our country, and we need to have our eyes open and see it for what it is. So what is it? 
It's oppression from the enemy who have trapped these people. They feel trapped in their oppression, trapped in their offense. And they're trying to kick out of the box. And the only way they know how to do it is with threats and intimidation and to silence you. So that's their goal. And they don't realize that they're just a pawn of an enemy that is keeping them trapped in a cycle that simply doesn't work. It's ineffective. And they are paralyzed. They are trapped. So if that is their goal, then what is our goal? Well, our goal isn't to laugh at them or to dishonor them. Our goal is to free them. Our goal is to free them. This is a Bible verse that I I have and will continue to quote quite often because we, as we push back against, against culture, need to understand who the enemy is. And the Bible says that our battle is not against flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against or fight flesh and blood, but the forces of darkness that bring oppression. In Acts 10.38, it talks about our king, the king of our kingdom, our king's domain. And it said how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. That's how our king operates in his domain, his kingdom. And you've heard me say this many times before, that we are his ambassadors. We are his representation of his kingdom here on this earth. And this is critical to understand because ambassadors don't stay in their own realm Ambassadors reflect their realm and bring it to another realm, the kingdom of this world. We are the ambassadors of heaven to the kingdoms of this world. And ambassadors, the role of an ambassador is to release truth and to release and to relieve oppression. See, that's our king's culture. And we are his ambassadors to release oppression from other realms. I was just at a meeting these last two days. I'm fired up about this because he talked about ambassadorship and what an ambassador looks like. An ambassador leaves his realm, but brings the realm to another kingdom, to the kingdom of this world. And we are ambassadors of heaven. And we are here with the mandate of the king to bring healing to all who are oppressed of the devil. And that's our culture, is to reflect heaven's culture. So what is our goal? How do we do this? How do we act out uh, the culture of heaven here in this kingdom? We are in this world. We're not of this world. We represent a different world, but we're in it and we're critical to it. 
because we are the ones that bring the culture of heaven. So how does that look? What is our goal? Number one is that we need to acknowledge that we have real problems in our country. I'm already on season two. I'm 50 plus episodes into problems with our culture and how we are here to help bring solutions. So we need to be the solution to real problems. We need to ask heaven. We need to talk to our king about about the problems that we face, there's real issues of racism and, and, the, and, the, and the cultural divides that we have in our country. Let's talk to the king about real solutions because I can promise you this, he has them. Remember, he has the higher way. He has the higher culture. So it's always going to be right. It's always going to be good. And it's always going to be superior to whatever mankind can create. So we can acknowledge that there's, there's a real problem and this might blow our mind, and be the solution. Number two is we don't engage in their culture. See, when we engage into the culture of darkness, we actually open ourselves up to that culture. We don't have to open ourselves up to that culture. We're from a higher culture, a different culture, a culture of light, and we bring the light into the darkness. We represent heaven's culture here on this earth. So we don't have to engage at the level of dishonor, of fear, intimidation, and threats. Number three is we can be louder. <laughs> the loudest voice gets heard. We can shout peace. See, the word peace isn't quiet. In fact, peace isn't quiet. Peace is, is an injection of a cultural truth of heaven into this earth that is crying out for peace. And we need to shout it. We need to be louder. If they are being loud in their shouting of offense, then we need to be louder in our injection of peace. Number four, and this may shock you, that it's on my list of things that we can do as culturally minded Christians. But we need to be socially aware. I gave the definition of woke. It's being aware of the issues that concern social justice. I just believe that their definition has transitioned away from what it's meant to be. I don't think there's anything inherently wrong or evil about being socially aware. We need to understand our fellow citizens, our brothers, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ here on this earth whether they know him or not. We are to love them and listen to them and care for them and be there for them. We need to, to be aware of the things that concern us. I want this podcast to just be a tool that will help bring awareness to the things that are happening. So we can woke up and we can be socially aware. And number five, 
we can demonstrate an unoffendable culture. <laughs> we can do it, people. We can do it. We can be unoffendable. What does it mean to be unoffendable? It means that we don't take the bait. We are aware of who we are and whose we are. And because our identity is secure in who we are as sons and daughters of the Most High God, we can live and sit in a place where offense has no way in. The box doesn't drop over us and we feel trapped and have to kick our way out. But we are aware of the tactics and the plans of the enemy, and they simply don't get to stick. We don't take the bait. This is how we engage culture. We engage culture with honor. We're, we are aware. We don't have to engage in a, in a woke, politically correct offspring where we are offense-focused, but that we actually become a solu real solution to the problem and we become unoffendable. Do you think it's impossible? I don't think it's impossible because we are from a higher realm. So heaven help us. Heaven help you. Heaven help our families become unoffendable, to come up with real solutions for our country, to be socially aware. We can do it. We have to do it. It's because it's what we were sent for. I shared at my last podcast that we have sort of cleaned up our platform and made it so much more accessible for you, my listener. Now you can go to pushbackculture.org, pushbackculture.org. It'll have uh, the most recent and the archived uh, episodes, and it'll have a place for you to leave comments or questions because I value those so much. I would love to hear your position on the things that we talked about today and over the last several weeks. And thank you so much for tuning in. Now, let's go together to set and shape the culture.